man's best friend. A dog is a man's best friend. Therefore, the best friend you can ever have is a dog that reads. You're listening to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey. I'm Dal. I'm Anne. And you all seem very confused by what I've just said. I think that surely then a man's best friend would be a book that barks. Ooh. Or, or that guards your house. Or sure, surely books and dogs are the same thing. That that must be it. Mm, that's me. That explains why this room smells slightly funny. No, no, no that's me. If I take a dog and off the, do so you want me to take a dog off the shelf, open it to the right page, and read what it says, and then, and then tickle its belly? Well, that, otherwise I'm not going to keep my, you know, remember to where I, remember where I left off. Surely, yeah. Book is not just for Christmas. That's the important thing. Ah. Yes, mm-hmm. book is for life. So you're listening to Brave New Words. It is a podcast in association with Starburst Magazine. You can also find us on fabradiointernational.com. Um, and you can also find us via the Wonky Spanner. I said it right that time. The Wonky <laughs> Spanner. Um, so, yes, but before we do anything else, uh, jingle. This, this is International. That was a lovely jingle. That was lovely. A lovely jingle. So... Um, on today's show, we're going to talk about um, Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick and also A Scanner Darkly by Philip K. Dick. The lovely people at the Folio Society. The Folio Society! <laughs> have, been, have sent us this beautiful thing. The Folio Society sent us something beautiful. Shopping. <laughs> is it a book? It is a beautiful book. Um, in the past, I am uh, a bit of a fan of Philip K. Dick. Um, I've talked at length about Dick. Oh, um, stop it! I'm not going to start. <laughs> to be honest, but no, I have. Uh, I, I, you know, it's a very broad topic, and we could go on for a very long time. Stop it! Go back to Philip K. Dick. Um, I'm going to pass this book round. Um, it's comes in a great big right just to explain the folio society for you so the folio society do books that are established in really pretty looks lovely on your shelf format so they're fairly pricey but if it's a book that you love and that you are a fan of it's worth the worth the kind of investment this is an interesting one because they've done the flip format thing Mm. so it's uh it's do android stream of electric sheep on one side and then you turn the book over and it's through a scanner dotly on the other side. And so, it's like you turn it upside down so it still reads correctly. So if you read it like if you read it just normally, eventually the pages are upside down. <laughs> and you've started at the end of the book. <laughs> you get to the end of the book. <laughs> oh, I'm in the wrong place. Oh, hang on. Flip it over. You're accidentally mementoing yourself. Phone up book support. My book's broken. <laughs> I, need, I need support. <laughs> Have you tried opening it and closing it again? So is this because the Folio Society do books and take books and make them beautiful, mm. but then they do those extra special beautiful ones as well? Is this just a normal make it beautiful? This is an extra special beautiful. This is an extra special make it beautiful. <gasps> um, hence the, the the kind of format. So it's got really really nice plates and illustrations mm. all the way through. Um, so it's very pretty. Dal is now stroking the book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I forgot other people were here. No. <laughs> no, it's worth pointing out that both uh, Scanner Dartley and uh, Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep are novellas. So what they've done is they've shoved two novellas together to make one book size, but it's huge. 
mm. uh, as as a thing. Um, is there something cool to divide between the two? I'm going to take a look because we've got it in front see of us. See if this. I can get there. There's definitely, I can see like a line here. That'll be a... Can let me see if it's the middle. It is the middle. So mm. they both end on an image. So you reach a point where you have an image that's the right way up on the left and an image that's upside down on the right. And if I turn them the other way, then it makes sense. So yeah, that's that's oh, that's a lovely way of doing it. I'm just gonna yeah do some good radio and just look at this for a while. <laughs> um, as expected, there's some illustrations like some plates, kind of dotted around. Not loads though this time, so they're not like detracting from what's going on. Um, also. I feel like on um, Do Android Stream with Electronic Sheep, when you first open it, you've just got a red sleeve. But then the net, the first actual page in, that's the original cover, isn't it? It's a, it's a classic. It's, it's a, a classic, classic cover. cover. The the black and white. Kind yeah, of the of, black and white split. With the with the seventies logo. A seventies, yeah, seventies oh, disco sci-fi logo. Maybe it's not then, because the Scanner Darkly is also the same, apart from it's a green sheet, but then first page is split black and white. Unless they both were. Yeah, the first thing I did when I got hold of it was I started looking at the first few pages of both sides to see whether, if the publishing information was at the start of one but not the other, see whether this book had a proper first side, but I think they're given equal attention. Yeah, they, yeah. 100% there's no I don't think there's a, a right way to this where they're like this is the proper beginning for for those of you who care it's the the usual uh, extravagant setup for full use society books it's quarter bound block cough paper uh, paper size printed and screen printed on the on the outside so it's block printed um, screen printed uh, the the font is mental which is a really nice pretty font uh, 12 full page uh, colour integrated illustrations and one double spread in the middle. Uh, the artists are um, Chris Skinner, who is better known for lots of Art Deco and Film Noir stuff, and Andrew, Archie, uh, Andrew Archer, who is uh, again another cover designer and he's well known for kind of Japanese art and ideograms and this sort of thing. Are um, they are they a book each or yeah, are they scattered throughout the, both? I think I think they're a book each. Okay. Because um, the first plate, apart from like the the you haven't started reading yet plate, um, the first plate is Rachel during her test, and it's a stunning piece of illustration. So in case you you in case you don't know the story, so let's start with do Android stream of electric sheep. Is it a spoiler if the answer is yes or no? Well, if the answer is well, if the question is if you find a turtle on its back in the desert, that's not a question. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> if you uh, find a turtle on its back in the desert, what's the rest of the question? What do you do? Oh right, okay. Well, that, yeah, there's your question. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> like, and obviously, what you do is you ask the turtle if it's all right, and you know, but you know, and the turtle be like, "Dude, no, I'm just sunbathing." You know, like, you leave it alone. This is a teenage ninja turtle you've got. Obviously, like, it sound like, like a Donatello or a Leonardo <laughs> or something like that. In which case, you could probably get itself up. So, um, people know this work through uh, the movie Blade Runner. Yes, I think that's a fair 
statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip K. Dick is, has been used an awful lot by Hollywood for his work. But the thing about Philip K. Dick is, so, there's, so through his history of writing, he's written in a lot of different styles. Um, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his, weirdly actually, I'm a big fan of his work, but my, um, my, my partner has never been introduced to it. I used to have a copy of his um, short stories, um, Handy. Mm. And it's weird because it's like we liked different stories. There's a whole pun there about sitting on the loo looking at a book called Dick, but let's not go there. Um, we weren't going to. I was so tempted. Um, <laughs> so the in the book, essentially, uh, like many like many of Hilke Dick's works, because he is uh, a chap who wrote primarily in the, the kind of the fifties. Uh, well, 60s, 70s, 50s, hundreds. The two hundred stream electric ship came out in the late sixties, uh, but rose to prominence in the in the um, early seventies. But a lot of his writing is like that. Is that period? So it's that Cold War period. So there's a lot of you'll find same with Brian Alvis. You'll find a lot of the stuff is about a post-apocalyptic world. So so Dick's world was Dick's writing was mostly about kind of the end of the world or the consequences of the end of the world mm. towards the end of his career they were mostly about um, hallucination the concept of consciousness where consciousness is and also is there a definition of meaning of God um, and a lot of his stuff is very philosophical yes uh, and very much about what it is to be a person what defines us what memories define us uh, and who we are as people the movie is an action detective story that stops every once in a while to, to ask us the question of does memory make us a person? I don't know if I'd say it's every once in a while. I think that runs throughout. I think while it's an action film, the point is to make you think. Um, I... It was... A, gosh, it was a long time ago now. Um, but one of my friends for his 25th birthday had um a baddies party and everyone came dressed as like their favorite baddie and i went as pris from blade runner um and it actually sparked a huge discussion between me and about four people as to whether you can see pris as a baddie within that story um because the story centers around the idea of replicants um and there are oh I've already forgotten six lost replicants. I believe the six yeah six, six lost replicants. Um, and essentially, um, androids and technology have reached the point where it is very hard to distinguish between a human and a replicant because replicants can emulate emotional response ish ish um that's a very in a nutshell version um but pris is one of the replicants that has run amok and ran away um and someone was saying so basically someone raised the point they're like is she a baddie because did she create that the situation that she's in and my point was ultimately i think they can absolutely be held accountable for their actions um replicant or not created or not you can say the same thing about a person um, I believe they're accountable 
for the crimes that they committed. Um, certainly, certainly in the book, the point that they're indistinguishable from people mm. is is made very kind of obvious. And like Dick kind of focuses on the tragedy. Yeah. Uh, so the reason it's called Do I Know Extreme of Electric Sheep is because the detective Deckard. Um, there's no live animals left pretty much if you're incredibly rich you have a live animal you have a snake it's in the movie as well there's that whole like who has real animals anymore and you have to be incredibly wealthy just to own like a mouse sort of thing uh, and Deckard has a sheep but it's a robot sheep uh, and that's like because of his status symbol because he's a fairly prominent detective he has he has a black faced electric sheep um, but there's also um, it, it's more the, the, the story, the novel is more of a master story because you've got these things like um, empathy boxes, you've got these things that kind of connect emotion between people. So they're like people get a sense of communal suffering, but there's also, and this is a thing that happens in more than one of Philip K. Dick's books, there's these devices. So I think they're called mood organs. I believe they're called mood organs. And they, they sit there and they change your mood. So if you go to a shop, you go to a shopping mall, it changes you to a slightly more kind of, you know, kind of slightly more greedy mood. So you yeah. feel like you do more shopping. If you're in a business, it's like a business-like mood, mood organs there to, to change the way that you behave. So the kind of the point that he's making is that, well, humans can have their emotions changed by outside influence. How does that make them any different from machines that are programmed? Yeah. with their emotions how does that make them any different from you know from us um, but yeah we get the whole I mean uh, the you're talking about Pris the relationship between Pris and Isidore because mm. Isidore in the um, in the movie is a, a scientist who helps build them yes but that's more kind of in, in, in the story he again is making a point of like you know, what is the difference between these two people? One is a, one is a damaged Mars escapee, uh, who, who's press because they all in the novel they all escape from Mars. I believe in the movie it's a little bit more big where they've run away yeah. from. If I feel like it's definitely it's because it's been a while since I've seen the film, but I feel like it definitely gave the impression it was off planet. But I can't remember if it specifies. Well, you get that whole sea beams glittering off the mm. that entire. So like, it's, you get a bigger feeling of. I think the movie gives you a bigger feeling of space, whereas I think yeah. if you've read certainly if you've read a lot of Philip K. Dick, Mars is an awful place that people go to, but Mars kind of feels like Detroit. It's <laughs> like you know Mars is there, but his Mars is just rubbish. It's like isn't you know, it a bit like Manchester for EastEnders? Yeah, like, oh, they went to Manchester and no one heard from or saw them again. <laughs> and, and he tends to use Mars as an excuse to talk about like capitalism. And the flaws of capitalism and um, Total Recall again is a movie that's inspired by mm. uh, fellow Kiddick work. So again, that's a movie where you know they go to Mars, and but that's about memory and consciousness, and, and so is this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so yeah, um, one of the things about the book is it's about the value of human life, and I think it's uh, I say book, it's a short story. Uh, we get weird words from this, by the way. The word kibble, by the way, as in rubbish, as yeah. in stuff, uh, is coined in Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep. sheep. Uh, Philip K. Dick invented kibble. Mm. Oh. There we go. Uh, if you've ever used the word kibble. 
I feel like there's another one though, isn't there? There's something else that's invented in. I'm going to look it up while you all talk, because I'm probably wrong. But um, but the, the movie is. I mean, I've got to be honest. I've read the short story a few times, but I know the movie much better because it's one of those ones that you're made to study. Yeah. And it's interesting that. Philip K. Dick is often described as the father of cyberpunk and f- the father of dystopian, mm-hmm. that, that, that dystopian genre. But if you look at the two differences between the two genres, he's just talking about, he's just really gritty science fiction in a depressing world that's taking it to a logical conclusion and then talking about consciousness. Ghost of the Shell does the same sort of thing. The comic book Ghost in the Shell does the same sort of thing, and they're both held up at cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I don't think I can say that one's inspired the other. I think it's just a parallel process where if you decide to go, here is technology, and here are the logical conclusions of, you know, technology is bad and does not make your life a better place, and human beings will always ruin the planet that they're on. Then you come to the conclusion of cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think. I think you can't not get there. So, oh, oh, as opposed to fantasy, where all fantasy authors are like, oh, well, Tolkien is the master. He's you know, George Orwell yeah. destri- describes him as dad. You know, he like they draw from one particular myth source, whereas yeah. the source for cyberpunk as a genre, they're not drawing from Philip K. Dick. Yeah, Philip no. K. Dick just drew from that same place, and that same place is that humans are a bit rubbish, aren't very secure about their consciousness of what they are, even if intelligence is a thing. Uh, artificial intelligences will be just as flawed as humans because we've made them. Well, people have been always looking at the technology of the day and pushing it to the logical extent. It's just before Dick, it was. A, a wonderment that we were learning new things so you get uh, things like uh, uh, Voyage to the Moon and things like that where it's oh my word this is something we can do and then it became darker as the 50s came on when you had technology had brought us some absolutely terrible things in uh, through the war and things like that where people thought more about the uh, the negative connotations of, of what we had created because it's not just in living memory it was recent memory mm. like course people are going to start to envisage technology or see technology in very very different ways I just remember the, 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 the market difference between the book and the the movie, so in the book he drives off with Rachel mm-hmm. sorry in the movie he drives off with Rachel that's not really, is it a spoiler? It's a spoiler. oh yeah totally yeah. Yeah, he drives off with, if, you've not, yeah. if you've not seen it then um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally spoiler, sorry uh, watch Blade Runner, in fact Rewind, forget what you just said, pause this, and never mind. Um, in the story, that definitely doesn't happen. There's less of a happy ending for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Also, there isn't a scene where Deckard goes and buys a goat. But I'd love to see that. I, I need to need to backtrack. Why does he have a sheep? Because it's a status symbol. Could he choose anything and he chose a sheep? I think he can afford a sheep. Surely an expensive item. <laughs> well, it's an electric sheep. I assume that you just plug it in. Is it more or less expensive than a goat? Well, no, a goat is definitely a step up. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. goat's definitely a step up. Can you get electric jumpers from it? Does it grow sheep wool? Electric sheep wool. Electric wool? I don't think it does, because... No. 
it's just just like a simulacre of a sheep. I think if I was looking through the electric animal catalogue, I wouldn't go straight to the sheep section. No. I think I'd probably flick through and get a kitten. Like oh, electric ferret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Electric yeah. weasel. Yeah, electric weasel. Probably cheaper than a sheep. And it'll probably smell less. Yeah, as well. e- easier to handle than an electric sheep. And you're not expecting to get wool from a ferret. Yeah, you can try. But yeah. Can you get an electric electric eel? <laughs> ah. I don't see why not. That short circuit itself. Well, yeah, exactly. It does live in water as well. So it'd be, but it'd be an electric electric eel. So you wouldn't be telling able to tell if it was short circuiting or if it was doing breaking normally. That'd just be confusing. Uh, I, I, I suddenly feel the Monty Python Norwegian blue parrot sketch uh, coming along. No, it's fine. I, <laughs> I want to see that in the Blade Runner. Like, the, the sheep is expired. Hang on. <laughs> Click. Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a goat sound. Ah, I see what's happening. Scanish uh, barcode. Oh, oh. no. Yes, I know. <laughs> All this time, so everybody was hating Ed, and suddenly I've become the bad guy. <laughs> well done, well done. There was a poet, or like a real world poet, that they um, that could speak a hundred different words, and like asked people how their day was, and this sort of thing. Mm. It was like it was like genuinely, you could have like a limited conversation. Mm. But when they were doing the, they they did it by competitive teaching. So like one person would be the tutor, and someone else would, and they would compete too answer questions um, and then they would pop round and eventually the parrot would join in as the tutor mm-hmm. teaching all the parrots how to yeah. learn through repetition so there's loads of wild parrots living in London as well there are yeah loads yes, especially like, around Camden and stuff it's something to do with like a couple escape from the zoo and they've had a couple of pets escape and for some reason they've bred well and London is a brilliant breeding but, ground for parrots in fairness I've seen London rent prices wow. they're pretty wild the last time I was in London, we saw one, and we followed it around, not believing it was pos- it was there. It was uh, a parrot. No, there's not. There is, and we just walked around the park, following this parrot around. Just... Yay, uh. parrots! Back to the book. Yeah. Back to the book. Yes. Um, so that's pretty much. I mean, okay. So the short story is. It's not a short story. It's a novel. Is much more navel gazing, much less nice. Isn't it because it's now in a book with another novella? It's now a short story. No, it's still a novella. Is it's it? just a novella with another novella next to the novella. The two novellas. The novella. The two novellas are combined to form novel. But <laughs> <laughs> novellas and novelettes are distinguished based on is it word count or pages? It's word count. Word count. It goes up to I think it's tenth, tenth or fifteen thousand words. It becomes. It goes from a short story to a novelette. I think. Novels start at seventy thousand. I don't understand okay. Pokemon. I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> I was going to say, I thought novels started around 40,000 ish, and then novellas 15 to 40,000. Hang on, hang on. But I'm sure it's a bit fuzzy. It's very, very, like sheep. very fuzzy, but not electric sheep. Um, <laughs> hang on, I'm going Hugo novella length. Uh, you see, um, it's really hard not to make jokes. About length and things. <laughs> now. So, so wait. A, ne- a novella is unmarried. Nevelita is married. <laughs> that, so. no, no, that's exactly how it works. Yeah. 
Right, divorces okay. are going to be a mess. <laughs> That's Dell is nonsense. Right, for the so purpose of the listener, Dell is sighing at us <laughs> in a mean way. So the short story, <laughs> no, just you. Just short you. story is eight thousand words, up to eight thousand words. Then it becomes a novelette, at which point you can get up to eighteen thousand words. Then best novella is up to forty thousand words, and once you've got past forty thousand words, according to the World Science Fiction Association, um, you're, you're heading into novel length. Okay. That that's forty thousand. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. very short. I feel like yeah. I've read novels that are around that are quite short. So that's technically it's a novel. Because forty thousand. You get annoyed if you've written forty thousand and one. Though you think <laughs> wanted the novel novella award. You'd think, given this came from science uh, science fantasy, that uh, they would have an, a name for something that was the proper doorstop fantasy books. That isn't just a novel; it's one above that. It's called Wheel of Time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ooh. <laughs> there is actually now a category for best series, and every once in a while there is a whole. I feel like did when we talked about the inclusion of best series. Had, did it have to be finished or could you get it from any point within? I'll just check this. Electric Sheep is technically a novel because it's 80,000 words. Wow. Electric but Sheep is 80,000 words. According to this. It's quite a thin book on its own, though. It's. This portfolio edition is not a thin book. No, it's no, not. No, that's great, you know. I mean, got it. There are two stories in it. There's but two stories and the margins are very sizable. Obviously, I looked at the margins quite quickly. Um. But no, I feel like the, the the novel when it's standalone is quite thin. But then then again, you get novels that are like two hundred and fifty pages and stuff, don't you? Like, I mean, obviously, size doesn't matter. Oh, you, you, do you want to get it out of your system? Do you? <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. T- talk about the girth of the book. <laughs> no, I knew it was coming. I was like, someone's going to say it. Um. It's not the size of the book that counts, it's how you um, use it. It's going to start with 70,000. So 70,000, it's just below 70,000. So Angry Robot, who have a submission to me, by the way, mm-hmm. Angry Robot um, wouldn't, it runs from November to the end of the year. Okay. Um, Angry Robot would not publish a Scanner Dartley because it's 500 words below the length of a novel, as far as they're concerned. Uh, but the publish- world genre society with counted as an author so, it is Android Stream of Electric Sheep is 10,000 words longer than a Scanner Darkly yes Two, five, I, 254 words in a Scanner uh, pages in a Scanner Darkly 189 on oh. it's entirely possible that my source is wrong yeah because I thought it was shorter I thought that uh, yeah I think it is yeah I feel like the first numbers that you said were wrong Android was Shorter. I always thought of it as a novella. We've gone down a really boring kind of. Oh god! Because <laughs> we're like we're now talking about the length of the book. Are we these in... people now? <laughs> Let's stop being these people. These oh people... man, that il- illustration is amazing. That's that's Deckard having a nice conversation with an android. Um, <sighs> friendly is, conversation with that android. is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But all right, okay. So, in conclusion. Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep is not Blade Runner? No. No. In any way, shape, or form. It's got a detective in it, it's got action scenes in it, it's got some casual violence in it, 
it's got sex um, and it is cyberpunk and it's technically the same story but the vibe and the feeling and the overwhelming feeling, feeling of loss is gone there's hope in the movie there's no hope in the book yeah like, like there's, there's absolutely no kind of the book is bleak yeah and, and it doesn't stop being bleak it's just bleak bleak and more bleak but that's Philip K. Dick in general he's yeah. not the happiest of people in the world no generally <laughs> um, it's interesting actually because Scanner Dartley which is the other side of this book which mm-hmm. we're reviewing it was written essentially 10 years later and it's just as dark he hasn't really cheered up in 10 years I don't know much about A Scanner Darkly. I've never read it. I have owned the DVD for about nine years. I feel like a film of it came out maybe ten years ago. And I've I've owned the DVD since not much longer than that. And I bought it because um, it was interesting and received a lot of attention because of the way that they created the film because it is a live action animated film it's um, all porn isn't it yeah it's all they, mm-hmm. the actors did did it all and then they took the footage and drew over it rotoscope essentially yeah so they drew the film over the live recording of the film and that was the thing that interested me about it most but I also knew it was based on a Philip K. Dick would probably be bleak and that I'd have to be in a very specific mood to watch it mm. and I never have been <laughs> so the story behind this kind of dark, darkly is a bit interesting because what happened was Philip K. Dick um, developed a drug addiction mm. quite severely and quite heavily drug addiction um, and he was he was supposed to write a book called An Android and a Human which was from the success of of um, Do I Know to Do Electric Sheep. Um, and a lot of his work, a lot of Philip Kiddick's work has been used to inspire other stuff going forward. This is the thing. Yes. He's always been very popular amongst science fiction fans and science fiction readers. He's never been this massively successful... He's not like Stephen King. He's just this source of ideas that then get turned into author ideas and then other novels and other things so even though we're like oh well Total Recall oh like Blade Runner oh it's kind of darkly there's a shared load more stuff that, that Bill K. Dick has influenced there's TV series Electric Dreams which is like you look at that and you mm. go these stories are just inspired by but this is really just Black Mirror with a different label on but there's a load of other science fiction like the entire cyberpunk genre where you could argue that there's a level of influence and he's influenced the people who have influenced those people who have then created this genre. Mm. If you say what I mean, so he's not going to be one of the easily one of the masters of science fiction. But regardless, he was successful enough. Um, he wasn't. He was never meteoric, but he was always, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, in the seventies, he developed. So he was going down a certain level of success. Developed a, a drug problem. Ended up in the Canadian version of a rehab center. And when he came back, um, he wrote uh, through a scanner dark, darkly, which is about a person who uses a drug to split their identity. One version of them is a cop, the other version of them is a junkie, and they are investigating the junkie subculture 
through their split personality it's been a while um, <laughs> I think that was the thing when I every time I read about it, it was like oh I could watch that today and I would say are you that ready for something that you're going to have to pay that much attention to um, because I think with the film I think the casting is also quite telling to the sort of story this is because it's Keanu Reeves and Robert Downey Jr and Woody Harrelson mm -hmm. um, which I think automatically gives you an idea of the sort of film we're probably about to watch throw in the fact that it's a Philip K. Dick story and that it's about addiction and yeah. uh, loss of identity and the fact that your identity turns from being who you are to being an addict yeah. and what you have become uh, and again it, it's like it, it's, it's a bit like do Android Stream of Electric Sheep but it doesn't have cool robot sheep in it all, all it has is the, the dark stuff about identity, loss of identity, and loss of self, loss of meaning, yeah. uh, and, and control. Um, and the animation throws in that idea of like that ultimately all of those things are reality. That is a person's reality. So take it out of reality and animate it. I think Scam and Darkly can be described as imagine looking at yourself in the mirror and having no idea who you are. Mm but knowing that you have no idea who you are. So you know enough that the person put in the mirror is supposed to be you, but that isn't you. And there being two images, and one is, neither of them are you, but both of them are supposed to be you, and you don't know what either of them are, who you are. Mm -hmm. That, that's kind of gnarly. That's also kind of, you see, I, there's an awful lot of Philip K. Dick stories that are just a bit, well, I don't think this. Uh, I don't think I can easily say that this is a single Philip K. Dick story that I've read that isn't just broken in some way. As in, Fair. you know, mm. they're all, you know, the the they're all. None of them are happy, um, and that's fine. Science fiction isn't meant to isn't meant to go around at my house and make me a cup of tea. Um, it's you know, but on the other hand, it's just I I I've, as I say, I've written quite a few features about Phil Kinnick in the past and one of the things I've always found is they're always very hard to write because you're, you're trying to define someone who shattered their identity multiple times through the writing process but I talk to writers many writers talk about how they coped with grief or they coped with uh, a divorce or they coped with depression uh, I mentioned Aldous earlier, I talked about Greybeard is a, a book that later on you realise, when you talk to Aldous, you realise that Greybeard is all about depression. Mm. And it's actually a book that, you know, sci-fi fans who have friends, friends who are depressed were like, here, read this, this is written by a person who was recovering from depression. It might help, if you see what I mean. It might give you a signpost, if you see what I mean. I would never do that with anything written by fellow Kiddick, ever. Um because it's all broken and it's all weird um, The Three Stigmata of, of Palmer Eldridge uh, which is not a supernatural book it's about environmental con con catastrophe the sublimation of the human psyche uh, it inspired the movie Altered States apparently okay. mm -hmm. but uh, it's about an earth that's become so warm you, it's global warming but you can't go anywhere so everyone just takes drugs to explore inner space mm -hmm. Then the father thing, which is a story about 
a boy who suspects his father is an alien and actually it turns out that they've all altered their own perception so they aren't who they are anymore. You can start to see a theme here. Yeah. Um, Dr. Blood Money or How We, or how we Got Along After the, the Bomb which is a post-apocalyptic weird story I surprise, surprise you about a dwindling space station with a telepath who's who's um, transmitting his his collapsing psyche to the world. Oh God! Oh, it's also got robot salesmen in. Hasn't sale robots who are salesmen? Um, we can build oh. you. Uh, we can build build you. Who is which is seen as a kind of precursor to Duandoid's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is about mankind who start recording on tapes versions of themselves to put into other places. And it's supposed to be about space exploration, but what it actually is is it's about mental illness because people just tape the bad bits of themselves so they can erase things. Um, so, yeah. We've gone to a really dark place, but we knew we were going to because it's Philip K. Dick. What do we expect? Yeah, um, it's very pretty. It's a very, it's a very pretty book that's going to take you to that dark, horrible place. <laughs> the thing is, I, I recommend it. Mm. Yeah, and this is the, this is the thing. It's like we just spent the last ten minutes going, "What well, these are awful," but no, they're brilliant. They are brilliant. Um. Much like we've we've said on the show before, we've talked about H.P. Lovecraft, um, and we've said about H.P. Lovecraft that H.P. Lovecraft was a horrible person who, from his own fear of the world, wrote brilliant stories of horror. And what the wonderful thing about uh, about H.P. Lovecraft is that you never have to go to that place because Howard's done it for you. Yeah. Um. Philip K. Dick has gone to those really weird dark places of the perception of the mind for you. And it is never advised that you do the same. Because no one healthy should. Hmm. Um, and no one who wants to stay healthy should try. But someone's already found the way, it's already walked the path. And you can look at the directions. Yeah. Uh, and it's not being a tourist in someone's misery, it's being a tourist in the intel- an intelligent mind who has explored some really strange places that you probably never will or probably will never have to. Um, and I think one of the reasons why people... Because people love Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason I think people love Blade Runner is because it's a book about... It, it, not a book, it's a movie about identity. It goes to places and goes through moral choices that we don't even think about. And there's a whole thing of well, is Decker an android? Here is the is he a replicant? Mm. Do, 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 does he dream of electric sheep? Is he you know? Do, does he seek the same status as a human being? Because that's what that it's not a joke. Do androids dream of electric sheep? Mm. Decker dreams of an electric sheep. Decker dreams of an electric goat because he wants that status because he wants that standing. To want status and standing as a human thing. Mm-hmm. Do androids want status? Do androids want the same, have the same hopes and dreams? Would would an android who doesn't need to eat, would an android want an electric goat in their house so they can tell everyone they have an electric goat? And if they do, doesn't that just make them as ridiculous as humans? It's the, it's that journey, yeah. but the 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 movie t- tells the same story. But with explosions and with Kahawa. Mm. And noodles. Yes. All the noodles. 
Though interestingly, Terry Pratchett has done did a take on the cyberpunk world, a short story, can't remember the name of it, where he's talking about a world where people have edited their perceptions and it's just the ability to edit your own perception. And Pratchett makes the comment of, oh, you know, I like the cyberpunk world because at least you could talk to someone and share some noodles with them. <laughs> Not this world where you can alter your mind and, you know, remove all people who are ginger because you don't like ginger people. And just makes this, you know, and it's a horrible, sterile world. Whereas at least some of the works of Philip K. Dick kind of are, well, they are dystopian, but at least there's something to them. At least they're not this, you know, dry darkness sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've bimbled on for, for a good ever. Sorry, I'm always going to do this. With you you did very well, though. Um, you, at one point, you said dick is hard, but didn't touch it at all. You've grown <laughs> as a person. I was, I was very impressed. It's, you see, I'm, I'm more, I'm more tempted to say difficult than, but it is, yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> uh, we are children when it comes to that sort of thing. A and big shout out to the Folio Society. Yes, it's beautiful, lovely things. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. We could do like we could. I kind of, I really want to see a version of Ubik. I think they keep trying to do versions of Ubik, uh, which is the we haven't touched on Man in the High Castle. No. Never cosplay as Man in the High Castle. Just a note, by no, the way. Never. Oh, Don't. Um, it sounds like a really good idea. No. Um, Ubik is the similar sort of thing, Confederated United States, but in this one, everyone has psychic powers and they can travel to the moon. And it gets weirder from there, essentially, because everyone can read each other's minds. No one has any um, privacy, mm. so everyone's really paranoid. But um, yeah, I'd kind of love to see that as a TV series, but I don't I have no idea where it would actually go. Yeah, if you see what I mean. Um, I watched the first two or three episodes of the Amazon series of Man in High Castle. Um, I remember being very entertained, but it is literally just doom. There's no moments to help bring you out of that cycle of of badness, so that you can go back into it. There's no respite in it, um, and it was just so much drama that I never carried on, even though I was very interested in the story. But it was that thing again where it's like. It's been a very specific mood mm -hmm. to watch this, and I'm never in that mood. They they keep trying to make movies out of and, and works out of all like everything that mm. he's done, and I don't think they should. Uh, Radio Free Album uh, Album of, um, is was released uh, was a posthumous book they released, um, and it also became Valis. So there's like two different versions of the same story. But it's about Gnostic spiritualism and a reality where essentially there's a record store clerk who is hallucinating the life of Philip K. Dick and then all of the things kind of become real. So it's kind of like all of Philip K. Dick's ideas are like released into the world through this one kind of messianic figure. Right. And they, they tried to make it into a movie, or they did make it into a movie, with Alonso Moses, the movie makes no sense. 
Um, the story makes no sense. Um, why did they bother in the first place? Yeah. But yeah. Also, it has it also has the Friends of American People, who are as a as an organization or as they're called in the story, FAP. Yeah. So that was a long way to get to that particular gag. I'm going to carefully put this back into its sleeve. Um, so yes, should you buy this? Yes. Is it important uh, as part of your science fiction collection? Yes. Yeah. You don't own an Android uh, do Android Studio and Electric Sheet. You should read it. You can find it easily anywhere. Um, I don't think they've ever stopped. Well, in my experience, I don't think they've ever stopped printing it. Every time I go in a shop, it will mm. be there. And every time there's a... So when the Total Recall remake came out... Mm. They, they they did it again like they did a whole bunch of short stories called Total Recall the works of Philip K. Dick and like they did the whole thing mm-hmm. and it was a collection of short stories I've got one somewhere mm. uh, The Electric Dreams the TV series is out they've done that they've, they'll do it again with Blade Runner they will always they will always keep doing his work but if you just want one copy of Philip K. Dick and you want to pr- pretty version get the polio society version yeah. you would do because mm. it'll last and even better you can give it to someone else later you know it's a collection that you pass on you know i've inherited a lot of folio society books good good for you brilliant you know it's yeah. the, those sort of kind of uh inherited books shall we talk to an author let's yeah. talk to an author yeah let's talk to a lovely author uh sure Jalal, welcome to brave new words thank you and tell us about your book Oh, well, <laughs> uh, Legend of Orion and the Dicentian Blade is just book one of a 12-part saga. And in this first book, it's basically about the beginning of the journey of an ordinary farm boy who embarks on an extraordinary quest for revenge after a tragedy befalls his village. And... uh what else? Uh, his main mission is to attain the strength to lift and wield the Dicentian blade. And this weapon was made by his father, and for some reason no one else can even lift the blade, let alone wield it. So he embarks on a journey to actually attain the strength to wield the blade. And yeah. And then, obviously, after uh, attaining the strength, he then has to imbue it with the power of the mythical and magical jewels called the Nine Elements. And I don't want to give too much away storyline-wise, but what I will tempt potential readers with is that I wanted to make my protagonist the ultimate superhero. And I've done this by giving him the mind of Einstein, the sympathy of Robin Hood, the armor of Iron Man, but a medieval version, and the muscles of the Incredible Hulk. And I think anyone would be intrigued as to how I have incorporated these attributes into something that's supposed to be ancient and legendary without losing that flair of a fable. So I wanted Legend of Orion to be the ultimate superhero journey. Yeah. So, um, why fantasy? What was the appeal of a fantasy novel? Well, uh, 
Basically, I fell in love with a game called Legend of Zelda. And, you know, from a young age, I was uh, fascinated with Legend of Zelda. I just fell in love with it. I used to play it all day, every day. And then I thought to myself, you know, uh, when I played it, I always used to look at it from a director's point of view, thinking, oh, they could have made this better and that better. And then I thought to myself, hang on, since I have these bright ideas, why don't I make my own version of Legend of Zelda? So that's how it started off, and I started to compile the ideas of the names and countries of Horion's world, and then my uh, father, he stumbled upon the ideas, and he said that, you know, why not make it into a novel, since making a video game is far-fetched. So that's how I... You know, that, that, that's uh, where the fantasy element came from. It all started from Legend of Zelda. And uh, the other thing, to obviously make the ultimate superhero, it has to be fantastical. It can't be, you know, uh, it, uh, related to reality in the sense that... Uh, in the sense that... What do you call it? You know... Uh, it being a fantasy, that just makes it all the more uh, wonderful. So that's how fantasy came about. How long did it take you to write this book? I understand it's your first. Yes, it's my first. And it actually... I, I actually worked this out. It took me like 14 years of real writing. But then again, there are like another five years of just compiling the ideas and stuff like that yeah so what's so, next so next is the sequel which is called legend of horion and the forgotten forest and in this sequel horion is entrusted with a little army to help him penetrate a seemingly impregnable fortress and this is uh, this fortress uh that, that, that's where the first element lies so out of the nine and there's nine elements so basically the sequel is all about attaining the first element whereas the first book Legend of Orion and the Dicentian Blade it's just setting up the scene and it's about getting the Dicentian Blade and wielding it and attaining the strength to uh, you know brandish the sword yeah why is fantasy so popular these days? It seems that we've experienced a renaissance in fantasy yeah, stories. Yeah, real renaissance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I almost uh, spoke over you. That's fine. Uh, well, I think, you know, reality-wise, everything's been done. And, uh, you know, people want something new. And fantasy is the only platform where you can create an entire universe and you know people will be intrigued by it because it's your world like you've created that world whereas you know obviously fiction it is your own world it can be your own world but then fantasy is totally your world so it's something new fantasy i think it has a real really long lifespan because anyone and everyone can come up with a fantasy and if they can actually write it in a nice way people will like it what sort of writers inspire you wow oh. so there's J.R.R. Tolkien 
Uh, he's my real inspiration. And then there's J.K. Rowling, George R. R. Martin, Philip Pullman, and C.S. Lewis. So all the all the fathers and for yeah, the fathers yeah, of fantasy yeah. to an extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what's your what's your writing process? What um, what tip would you have for yourself? Uh, for myself, as in what I would. What have you learned? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. Uh, well, if I could go back in time. Uh, if that's possible uh, I would tell my younger self to actually write like a runaway train and until you lose all steam and then relax your mind by reading what you wrote rather than uh, from experience this is what I thought I just write a paragraph and then just uh, read it over and over again like for my own pleasure because it sounded nice but then what I've experienced is that the ideas simply slip away like uh, great ideas come into your head and then you say yeah I'm going to write that I'm going to write that but it goes so my advice or tip to myself would be to write like a runaway train and then check the grammar and if it makes sense and stuff like that if you yeah. could take one piece of art one thing yeah. creatively created by people yeah. Uh, yeah. and make that last until the sun went out um, yeah. and stand the test of time what would it be? oh, oh that is a hard one uh, 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 well uh, I think it, for me it would be Legend of Zelda because that this is this is what gave birth to Legend of Orion, and I think uh, for myself, I would preserve that for all eternity. <laughs> yeah. Would you be tempted to go into games design? Because games design now has become much easier than it ever has been. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I would be, actually, because Legend of Orion originally, in my mind, was supposed to be a game. So uh, I I would look into that in the future, hopefully, uh, if I get the chance. Yeah. And um, just some silly questions, just yeah. to, to finish off, if you don't mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, firstly, Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, uh, Futurama. Dragons or starships? Oh, uh, dragons. Um, jazz or heavy metal? Jazz. Um, zombies or skeletons? That is a really hard one. I hate both. Uh, <laughs> uh, skeletons. I hate zombies. <laughs> strawberries yeah. or chocolate? Uh, strawberries. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Shah Jalal, thank you very much for your time. That was lovely. Oh, they, they were. were lovely. lovely. They were. So, yes, so if you were in a desert and you saw a turtle on his back. I'm wondering what a, wondering what a turtle is doing in the desert. Yeah, don't turtles live in the sea? What's what's the right answer? Before, before I answer, what is the right answer to say that I'm not a robot? Because that one. I think the right answer <laughs> to say you're not a robot is Donatello, Leonardo, <laughs> Michelangelo. Which one? Um, oh, Michelangelo, always. Because if it was Raphael, I'd just leave him there because he's probably yeah, exactly. anywhere near him. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, if you want to tell us who your favourite Ninja Turtle is, um, or you want to make small gods-related jokes, um, you can get in touch with us on at Radio Big Run, uh, via Twitter, or you can uh, email us on ed.fortune at Starburst Magazine, or you can find us on Facebook. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from all of us. Bye! Bye! Bye. Bye. Thank you.